fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Daniel J. Glenn, Analytical Mastermind here. I just wanted to pop in before the show to tell you all about the brand new video version of this podcast we have been developing. It's finally here. Well, not here right now. It's not this episode. It will be available with the next episode, Lucky Number 13, Harry Potter's Brooms, available in two weeks. You can check it out on YouTube, uh, youtube.com backslash Daniel J. Glenn. And of course, you can watch it on ftriplegbt.com. We've got links to everything there. Watch it there. Watch it wherever you feel comfortable. And never fret if you love the podcast version. If you like, if you're an audio-only guy, that's fine. I respect that. Stay subscribed. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, because this will continue into perpetuity as uh, an audio podcast. But we wanted to add a video element. I think I'm very excited about it. It's going to be great. Like, subscribe, comment. Let me know what you think. Uh, feel free to tell us all about things you want to see. If you're a mad scientist of your own and you're trying to figure out how to make one of these pop culture things yourselves, let us know. We may do an episode on it. FGGBT.com. And now on to Battlemex. Once again, welcome to another episode, Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, Gear-Based Technologies, where we look into the future and make fictional science a reality. Um, I can't do that alone. I know you guys think that I can after listening to my insights, but I can't. I need help. Uh, and I've recruited help in the form of superhero scientist, certified genius. Uh, is that still a thing? Are you That's still, still a thing, yeah. Okay, certified genius and master of the ancient aliens, Dr. Michael Dennett. Great to be here. And, of course, once we have the concept, we need to make these things a reality. So, of course, I'm bringing along the enigmatic engineer, the man who works in an undisclosed location, the man of a thousand calculations, Ben Seepser. Thanks for being on the show. Great to be here. Okay, so when we look forward into the future, um, what mankind is going to look like, let's say in the 22nd century, where do you guys see battlefield combat going. What, what do you think we're going to be fighting then and how we're going to be fighting each other? Because as we've mentioned in a previous episode or future episode, who knows how we're going to put these things together. Uh, we are a very tribal group. We are a very tribal species and we're going to be fighting each other till the end of time. How do you think it's going to look in 100 years? So I do sense that we're going to get more and more automated. Mm -hmm. But what what what... I guess I'm intrigued on two sides. Does it go mechanical or does it go more biological? Hmm. Okay. Right. Do we go more automated? And it's probably going to involve a little bit of both. If we stay fighting, we might also go the clone route. Hmm. Okay. And, and go with sort of massive shock troops that we don't, unfortunately, care that much about. Hmm. Right. That you make clones to send into battle um, to absorb the worst of the damages. Um, and the more elite soldiers are, are safely somewhere else controlling things remotely and battling that way. But you still think that, that the soldiers will be biologically based? And by that, that's a, a nerdy way of saying either humans or some other kind of yeah, creature I, fighting Yeah, I, I think there'll it. be a combination. Because hmm. um, the biology, it, when you think of heavily armored mechanical devices... Um, there are ways in which a swarm of biologically-based things could still be very dangerous to them as opposed to facing off against another equally robust 
mechanically based objects. Well, if the video game StarCraft hasn't taught us anything, it is that the Zerg can take down the humans, the human machines pretty quickly. Uh, I'm using that as a point for biology. Yes. Um, what do you think, Ben? Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about. There's, you know, as you're describing that, I'm immediately thinking those uh, guys in the back with their lightsabers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You Although they the Star were, Wars route. <laughs> I think Denon touched on a good point with the the drones and the robotics. That I th warfare, even today, is very much going to the heavily automated, heavily. And in my mind, I think it'll continue to go that way, where we will continue to take people out of the battlefield more and more, just because people are expensive relative to robots. Mm -hmm. Unless they're created in a laboratory, oh, that, as Denon was suggesting. Even then, I feel like <laughs> it's going to be more so. And you have to wait a while, unless you can make them grow much faster like the Caminoans could. Right. <laughs> or Rick and Morty. Yeah. That too. Yeah. What's interesting, though, is what happens when both sides are fully mechanized and automated. Like, what's the point of blowing up each other's robots? What are you, mm -hmm. what are you proving <laughs> at right. that point? And... And then I wonder how warfare evolves from that point. Like, if everyone just has drones to fight their battles, are the battles even worth fighting anymore? Mm -hmm. Yeah, because the key to the drones is blowing up other people's people yes. while protecting your own people, Yes, essentially. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. So this kind of leads us into, because no one really mentioned what we're talking about today, which is the protection of the current people. We're going to talk about battle mechs, which basically uh, came into popularity with Battle Tech, which uh, was an anime, and then, you know, with the semi-quasi-popular film Pac-Rim, uh, the opening weekend, the first Pac-Rim was beaten by Fast and Furious 6, another machine-based movie, um, but still nonetheless overseas, very popular. Uh, these things have kind of captured America's attention, I think. They're very interesting. And the one thing I want to mention is while I love these things to talk about, they feel like the way in the 50s when people thought about what the future looked like. If you look at old Twilight Zone episodes, when they look at rocket ships, they're still all analog rocket ships. It's still just these equipment, these beeps and lights. And, and you know, they're not really even computers, really. They're just big analog devices. And it's all the knowledge that they had up until the point of the digital revolution, which changed everything, right? Yes. I think that there's some point in the future that we're talking about that we're, we can't really see. Maybe it's AI, maybe it's robotics, that the future then changes completely that we can't, in a way, we can't even predict. So when I think about battle mechs, I think of this as like the analog future that people in the 20s thought we were going to be fighting wars with. Because uh, I don't think they're feasible or possible, but people are making them and they're still really cool. I just yes. wanted to mention that. Uh, so let's talk about how we can, so these are basically large mechanized human powered machines that are used to fight battles. Um, I think they're very possible. Uh, Denon, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, this is, this has so many different levels and directions. And I think this is really, um, I'm going to quickly turn it to Ben because I think the <laughs> physics here is fairly straightforward in a way. This is really an engineering question. And, and at the end of the day, it's also a style question. I like the way you framed it. Mm. Um, because, because I love praise from you, Denon, by the I, way. I, I love praise I know from you. I know you do. Um, and, and it's so rare and far. No, I'm. <laughs> <laughs> it's one an episode so far. It's one I love an episode, it. yeah. That's what I'm going for. So if you think about it, like when I see this, I do wonder well, why would you design the technology with the people inside it? Mm -hmm. You know, given, given 
where we already are in remote kind of technology control. Um, and also where we are with virtual reality. I mean, a person could be almost anywhere seeing and feeling what the, you know, the battle mech is and controlling it with almost all the same kind of features and none of the danger. Mm -hmm. um, so a lot, I think, depends on your goals. But it is fascinating. I think this is about style and it's about design issues more than it is specifically about physics. I mean, uh, we already make robots. We already make, for instance, chips that you can put in the brain that can control robotic limbs and arms. Mm -hmm. So there's just a lot that's almost already there. And like you said, it's the technology of now, right? So what would the technology of the future be is an interesting question. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious to hear the engineering view on this. I'm semi-curious, uh, not extremely curious, but let's hear what okay. Ben has to say. <laughs> well, so there's two kinds. There, um, not so. There's kind of two thought processes to the the mech universe. There's the the powered armor, Iron Man, Iron Monger size, where you're, you're still roughly proportional to a human being in size, mm -hmm. and those those versions are very simple and pretty obvious from a technical perspective. It's pretty easy to wrap a guy. From an engineering perspective, it's pretty easy to got, wrap a person in steel, titanium, etc., put some motors in, it's, have them walk around. Yeah, that's super it, easy. It, I've done it. I'm planning <laughs> on finishing a suit this Exactly. Weekend. It's not something we've done. And I, I would argue the reason we haven't done it is it probably fails on a practical for practical reasons. You know, it's expensive. Articulated joints are really complicated mm. and cause weakness. You know, you know, anytime you have a joint, that's a place where, mm. you know, Gases can get in where weapons can find a weak spot, but it's from a physics perspective, it's pretty easy to see like a 10, 12 foot tall robot working. Yeah, what gets problematic is when you start talking about 30, 40, 100 foot robots, right? Because now you're now there's a simple rule in physics, which is the square cube law, mm -hmm. which is as something increases in height, width, and depth, it's if you double all of those dimensions, you you cube the the mass of the thing. So the reason there aren't like infinitely tall humans is because your bones eventually can't support themselves once you get up to certain dimensions. That's true of all materials. All materials can only be so tall before they'll just collapse on themselves. And so for things like steel, that's not really a problem for something that's 100 feet tall because obviously we have you know, multi-thousand foot high skyscrapers. You could, mm -hmm. But once it starts walking around and moving, <laughs> mm -hmm. now you have a much bigger problem because now you have dynamic forces. You have, how do you make a joint that can support that kind of weight? And it's, you know, there's a lot of magical materials that must be going on into these 100 foot tall robots so that they don't just collapse under their weight. Well, so it's interesting. So really, it's a practical question that you're asking. Yeah. Like, these things are possible, but why in the world would we make them? Oh, yeah. When you when you think about what's what's better, a tank or a, a walking robot, unless, the only place where the walking robot's better is if you're climbing something really steep. Or maybe you want something narrow you can get between. The tank has a lower profile, so it's harder to hit. Um, treads are a lot simpler than a leg. If you get shot in the, if a robot gets shot in the leg, it falls over and is gone. If a tank gets shot in the tread, well, it can still rotate the turret and fight. It just what a circle, just shooting a circle. 
June Circle, which is still better than the Fallen Over Robot. It's true. <laughs> well, so now hold on a second here, Ben. Let me ask you something. So you were a big fan. You've said in a previous podcast. Oh, I podcast, love Pacific Rim. Yeah. So yes. we defend them because. Oh, it, it makes no sense from a practical perspective. You just like the idea. I, oh, it, it's it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing to see a, ro- a hundred foot tall, or t- I mean, the pack rim robots might even be taller than that. They're huge. They're as tall as the buildings. Well, as tall as the ocean. Because <laughs> <laughs> they're yeah. in the so, ocean. So I'm going to help Ben out here. Because yeah. okay. he loves the movie, yeah. and we're going to make it practical. Well, and, and, and that's you, the key I'm going to say is that well, because the love is what, that's and, why and, people are You know what I'm going to bring in, Dan. I feel like I do. We're going to make them out of foam. I was <laughs> waiting for it. Yeah. But, but I think that's the key here. You mentioned, and it is... It is it's mass. The, it's, it's mass. Mass is the biggest problem. The metal is really the first step in getting your robots to be hundreds of feet tall. And it's the strength of the metal that matters. And what's exciting here, we mm-hmm. haven't had a chance to really talk about foam. And foam is the key to getting these robots to be as big as they are. And it's exciting to finally be working foam into one of our episodes. So you you were looking for an in to make foam work is what you're saying. Yes. Okay. And and, and I think it because it really is a weight and strength issue. Yeah. Um and, and our bones actually do as well as they do um because there is a a sort of foam like structure to them. And what's interesting is how after your bones have been broken and reheal, they're often stronger yes. because the granular structure is is different in that in that healed state. Um, I do think from, you know, it's interesting from a fighting perspective, it's amazing how often movies like to go with things that can walk. Yes. And it's also interesting how often easy it is to take things that can walk and use rather low tech means to make them fall over and become useless. Mm -hmm. Um, there really is a sense of, of, you know, the simple technology of the tank is quite amazing. Um, for its robustness and its, its sort of battle, um, you know, sturdiness um, in many ways. But I think I think there are some ways to get yeah. these robots up and moving and and yeah. not totally insane. One thing is to start making more legs, not just the two-legged biped that we have with yes. normal people. You know, if you look at say bugs like spiders or ant or insects like ants, but because they have more legs, if they lose the leg, they can keep going. And so I think an important thing for like a war robot is more like what you see in say, in say Star Wars, where you see these giant legged tanks, where if they had lost one of their leg, they're still mostly all right. And so that that could be a big solution to the to the how do you build a tall robot is extra legs. Yeah, because you definitely see in Star Wars the two legged attack machines and the four legged ones have serious problems. Yes. <laughs> Well, I think human beings need to stop making... I always take it a dump on humanity, but human beings have to stop making robots that look like them because we're not the most suited... We're suited intelligently, but not biologically. Not our bodies aren't suited to be that big. No, the human body is is a generalist. Yeah. Um, And we use tools to do what we do. Like, humans can dig with a shovel, but a steam shovel is way better. Right. Yeah. And the ability to build that is what makes us, that's right. what makes us special. Yeah. So I, so I think that that's key here. The other thing I want to mention here is that, I, I, like I said, I, I don't really understand why people would want to make battle mechs, but I actually right. do understand why people want to make battle mechs. And it's for kind of a theme of the things we've talked about lately, which is, in a sense, battle mechs are the low-tech solution to a high-tech problem. What am I talking about? I'm about to tell you what I'm talking about. Stop bothering me. <laughs> is when you, when you start adding AI to things... 
that can be hacked really easily. People hacked into a Tesla. When you start adding, like, because you, you went with the Star Wars world in the future. If you go with the Terminator world, where it's all robots, those are easily hacked. That you you can get into the AI, you can take control of them. It happens in five movies. And the AI can go bad on its own. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Corrupt files. You don't even need a human being to make it go bad. It can go bad. The, the mech provides a low-tech solution, which is essentially a high-powered, highly destructive force that a human being can, can function. It's the analog solution to this digital problem. Right. No, I, I think you're right there. But again, Thank you. As, as a why not just design my robot shell slightly more intelligently and make it the shape of a tank, mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I could, I can still do a lot of the same things. You know, I make it move by running on a treadmill. That's the tread spinning. You know, I control the firing mechanisms, you know, with my hands. And, and do it all, not inside the tank, which somebody else is trying to blow up, but somewhere else through virtual reality and sending a signal. Now, there, again, I like, you know... It's a digital component that I'm talking you, you about. You do give a good reason why to be inside the thing. Yeah. Is without any wireless communication having to go on, exactly. much harder to hack it. So right. there is that safety thing. And let's face it, over the centuries, we've been more than willing to put people actually on the battlefield. Mm-hmm. And being on the battlefield inside a giant robot is probably a little safer than being on the battlefield um, in leather armor. <laughs> That's true. Well, and the other thing about these mechs that makes them the kind of makes them attractive to the public sensibilities uh, is that they have extreme weaponry. So, you know, we talked about Iron Man. This is a drummed-up version of Iron Man. But it is, in fact, very, very different because you have tons of missiles, tons of guns. It's it's more like War Machine than it would be like Iron Man. Um, but that's what makes them them so exciting. Yeah. And another, yeah, it makes them exciting, and it make and it allows them to be like humans. And mm-hmm. one of the, one of the great things about Pacific Rim is, and one of the reason you want a generalist fighting machine like a the Jaegers is all these different weird monsters are coming through, and you don't know what you're going to need mm-hmm. to fight them. So it's a lot. If if you're going to be fighting some random monster of the week, it's you know if you have a giant war machine that is like you. It helps you in thinking how to fight it because what you would do to fight it is what the robot can do to fight it. Right. You need like a Swiss Army knife yeah. of possibilities for fighting it. Uh, well, you know, and it, as I mentioned, that this captures the attention of people. There are three, three people that are making functional mechs. Uh, this is pretty incredible. There is the Megabots. Of course, I'll go with the Americans first. Uh, so this is a place up in Silicon Valley that has made two, the MK2 and the Eagle Prime. Uh, in order to catch a little bit of publicity, they challenged the Japanese maker of mechs, which is uh, su- su- oh, Bayashi Heavy Industry. And they make one called the Kurata, named after the engineer. And these two faced off in a battle, uh, best out of three series, which is really exciting. Now, these are pretty cool robots, pretty cool mechs. But the re- I think the real possibility for this lies in one that is from, it's a South Korean company, called Hanuk Mirai Technology. And these guys made a 13-foot, 6-ton 
basically it's a mech machine. It's, it's exactly what you think. Uh, it's a guy sitting in the top and his arms and legs, it's gigantic. It moves pretty well, pretty fluid. And all you got to do is strap a couple of rocket launchers on this thing. My, my question would be, if you start having these high propulsion weaponry, how is it going to fall over? How can it maintain its stability? Because if I have a rocket launcher on my back, uh, I'm pretty strong and probably hold it. But the average person is probably going to be blown on their butts. Yeah. Well, the advantage of the rocket launcher versus, say, a um, versus say a gun is that the rocket launcher can actually be made to be recoilless. Because if well, really, well, if, if it doesn't have a back to the tube, if the rocket the rocket engine just comes out the back, no problem. The only reaction you'll get is like the friction of the rocket on the tube because the rocket's oh. expelling its fuel out the back. It's flying like it normally would. Right. So rockets are actually the right way to do it. And, and, and something that just struck me, which is not your question. No pun intended. Right. right. But I'm going to go to, I was just, we, we think about these from the movies for, for battle purposes. But why also would you design one of these is think about all the stuff we're trying to do now in search and rescue. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, we do some really cool stuff with remote controlled robots yes. that can do a lot, but they are limited because they are not generalists. They're the robots that we build with specific capabilities. If we had one of these big mechs um, going into a disaster area, you as the person are much better protected. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a greater chance of surviving, and yet you're also in an environment, a robot that works and thinks a lot like you. Mm-hmm. So as you're trying to move through, you know, if something recollapses, you're fine. You're in your big metal case. Yeah. The right perfect on. example of that is the the mech from Alien that, you know, Ripley fights the queen with mm-hmm. where, you know, that, I think it's called like a load handle or something like that thing was designed to move cargo from between the spaceships. Yeah. And that's a perfect example. If you're in a search and rescue operation, you have a robot, one hands the jaws of life. One's just a good rap grabber. You can pick off chunks of concrete and you can walk around this horrible field and be safe. I think the real detriment here is these things are really slow. And when you think about when the the speed of response and the speed of weaponry is designed to be fast, ever since the Wild West, you want to be the fastest person to shoot. Um, If you can't get out of the way, if you can't move, they're not very mobile. That's the huge downside to them. But I think the real success of these things is going to be how much we trust AI in the future, whether or not we can trust AI to do what we say it's going to do and to not launch an all-out nuclear attack against ourselves and our enemies. That's really the key here. No, I do like that, that direction. Dan, and it does bring up a, you know, a whole host of reasons why you might go semi-low-tech and control it directly yourself. Mm-hmm. As you said, almost the analog version of the digital direction of robots with their own sort of deep learning and machine language learning and figuring out how to do stuff on their own. Well, I like my analytical masterminds biologically based and not uh, digitally based, if that's if that's all right with you guys. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> so I think we nailed this. It all depends on the future, whether these things are going to be something uh, functional and practical, um, but they're really interesting nonetheless, and you guys are responsible for making these a reality. So thank you for that. Thank you. You're welcome. And I want to thank everyone for listening. Have a good night. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glenn Co. production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. 
The fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. This show is does not end as a podcast. It is a very lively and active website, fgbt.com, where you can watch this show, check out upcoming video versions of this show, and to learn all about the links, the in-real-life stuff we talked about in this episode, find the links on fgbt.com. That's fgbt.com. Say it one more time, fgbt.com. Wouldn't be a triple G if we didn't triple say it. Uh, it's great stuff. Check it out there. Uh, also links to all of the social media, Facebook, Twitter, all that stuff. And if you like this show, you're going to love everything I do. Go to danieljglenn.com to check out my other projects. Thank you for listening.